Welcome to the Purdue Commercial Agcast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Mintert, Director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. And today I'm going to be reviewing the results from the July Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Survey of Farmers from Across the Nation with my colleague, Dr. Michael Langemeyer. Each month, we survey 400 farmers across the U.S. to learn more about their perspective on the ag economy. This month's Ag Barometer Survey was conducted from July 20th through July 24th. And you know, Michael, it was kind of interesting. There really wasn't much change in the barometer this month, and I really wasn't expecting that. I thought we might see some change, but there really was just a one-point improvement. The index came in at a reading of 118, up one point from a month earlier at 117. But it is significantly stronger than when it hit its low point back in the spring. We dropped all the way back to a reading of 96 in the spring. So we have seen some recovery there, but maybe not as much uh, as I think some people were expecting. Yeah, I was expecting a slightly higher increase than that. Uh, and we did see an increase in the, in the current conditions index, but we saw a drop in the index of future expectations. And that was kind of, that was the surprise to me. Um, that the index of future expectations dropped, and that's why this index is so flat. You know, one with the current current uh, index is going up, future expectations is going down slightly, and and the end result was it was a flat index. Yeah, that's a good point, and, I, and it really did move in, in opposite directions. And and I think maybe if you think about it for a bit, that is reflective of what's taking place in agriculture. People are feeling a little bit better about the current situation. Um, I think part of that's related to the fact that certainly compared to a year ago, crop conditions are better. Um, prices have held up maybe a little bit better than some expected, particularly on the soybean side, uh, not so much on the corn side, but clearly on the soybean side, prices have held up a little better than perhaps expected, given the fact that we've got such a good crop coming on. But that index of future expectations did dip just a bit. It, it dropped. It wasn't a huge decline. It went from 126 a month earlier to 121. But it could be an indication of people recognizing that COVID-19 is going to be with us for a while. It's, this is not going to be a return to normal anytime soon. And, and maybe a little bit of reflection of the fact that from a longer term perspective, there's maybe just a bit more uncertainty uh, than people were expecting earlier. So the Farm Capital Investment Index essentially was flat. It came in at a reading of 60. That's the second month in a row. It's been at 60. Uh, I think it was a, at 50 a month ago. And then if we go back a couple of months, it was all the way down to 38. So it's significantly stronger than it was, again, at the low point when people were really having a pretty negative perspective on everything in the U.S. economy, not just agriculture. Uh, but we have seen a significant recovery since then, but it, it sort of looks like it's flatlined a bit here. Uh, and of course, with all these indices, we're still well below where we were back in uh, February when we kind of hit high points. I think... Uh, uh, in the case of the Farm Capital Investment Index, we were in the low 70s back in, a in February. In the case of uh, uh, the Ag Economy Barometer, we were actually at a record high. So the barometer itself, I think, is down about 30% compared to uh, where it was in February. Uh, so again, showing some signs of recovery. Um, if you think of it in percentage terms, the recovery for the Farm Capital Investment Index has actually been bigger than it has been for uh, the barometer or the Index of Future Expectations or uh, the index of current conditions. I guess that continues to surprise me a little bit that, that capital investment index is maybe as strong as it is. And then uh, the kind of the new question we just started asking in March was this uh, one about uh, their uh, people's plans for farm machinery purchases in the upcoming year compared to a year ago. And um, 
I don't know, Michael, what, what do you think? Does that, does that match up with the farm capital investment index result, results? I think it's, it, I think it's consistent. Um, it, it does. One thing that's nice about this particular question is it does show the differences in attitudes. I mean, 56% of the individuals uh, in July, the same as in June, are expecting lower uh, farm machinery purchases, but uh, 7% in July and 6% in June were expecting higher. And so, and so this, even though it's consistent uh, with the Farm Capital uh, Investment Index, this is providing some more detailed information about differences among producers. And so I think it's quite valuable from that standpoint. That's an interesting point, because if you go back to May, only 4% of the respondents said they expected to have uh, uh, higher farm machinery purchases in the upcoming year than uh, a year ago. And we didn't quite, but almost made it to double that in June and July at 7%. And I think you're right, that does kind of maybe uh, provide some clarity with respect to the fact that uh, different people in different situations um, are, are looking at things a little bit differently. The other thing that I looked at is if you look at the June and July results, compare those to May uh, and to some extent April, uh, back in April and May, we were 63 and 65% of the people said they expected to reduce their farm machinery purchases compared to last year. Um, that percentage dropped back to 56 in June and then stayed there in July. And so in that sense, very consistent with the Farm Capital Investment Index. But I, I agree with you with respect. It gives us a little more detail, a little more granularity with respect to what's going on. Farmland price expectations, there was a little bit of a divergence here between people's short-run perspective, meaning 12 months ahead, and their longer-term perspective. Uh, what was your take on that? I was a little surprised to see that uh, uh, the, the, uh, the percentage of individuals that thought farmland prices were going to go up uh, was 10% in June and jumped to 16% in July. I guess that is consistent, though, with the, uh, the increase in the index of current conditions. And so people are People are a little more optimistic about the current situation uh, and thus are expecting uh, more people are expecting higher farmland prices than, than they did uh, just two or three months ago. If you go back to April, only 7% of the individuals uh, thought farmland prices were going to increase uh, in the next 12 months. And so, and so this, is, this is certainly an interesting question uh, and it's really, quite, it's, it's really changed quite a bit in the last two or three months. Yeah, and as you look at that change from uh, June to July, that move from 10% expecting higher prices to 16%, all of that came about because of a reduction in the percentage of people that said they expected to see prices remain unchanged. Uh, the percentage of people expecting lower farmland values actually stayed the same. So it, it was a, a kind of a modest shift away from staying the same to becoming more optimistic. And again, I think you're right. I think it coincides very closely with that current condition index. So in the light of that, the one that was a little bit surprising to me, or maybe more surprising, was the farmland price expectations five years ahead. And to put some perspective on that, a month ago, 55% of the people in the survey said they expected to see higher farmland values one year at, or five years out. That dropped to 48% this time around. And in light of what we saw on the current condition index, in light of what we saw on that 12-month question, I was a little surprised at that shift. How about you? I was too, uh, but it is consistent with, uh, with the decline in the index of future expectations. Uh, those two questions tend to be very closely related. And so index of, index of future expectations declines, uh, we see, also see a decline uh, in this particular index. Uh, 
This is also interesting in light that the Indiana uh, cash rent and land value survey was released uh, in the last week or two. And, and actually that survey shows that uh, uh, people on average at least expect land prices to increase faster than inflation. Um, not too much faster than inflation, uh, but to, to, to increase. And, and, and if you look at surveys you know, across the Corn Belt, uh, most of those individuals were also expecting uh, land pa- land values to increase, and so yes, I was I was surprised that less than fifty percent uh, of those we surveyed in July expect uh, farmland prices uh, uh, to to uh, uh, to to increase five years from now. So I think we probably ought to share a little perspective on the that percentage as well, though. And you think about it, that percentage of people expecting higher farmland values tends to bounce between on the low side. 39 or 40 percent and on the high side i think the highest we've ever had is 59 percent so we're kind of right in the middle of that range and i guess uh to some extent that reflects some uncertainty right uh and and i think what took place with the index of future expectations probably does explain what took place here with respect to the farmland outlook so we've been asking going back to uh, uh march how worried are you, if at all, about the impact of coronavirus on your farm's profitability this year? And those responses, looking at it month by month, going back to March, we've asked this every month now since March, it's really interesting to see how the percentage of people that are very worried and fairly worried has declined over time. In April, 74% of the people that responded to the survey said that they were either fairly worried or very worried about coronavirus having an impact on their farm's profitability. That's been drifting lower since then. And in July, it was down to 61% on a combined basis. And, and the biggest drop was in that very worried category, which went from um, in March at 40%. In July, it was down to 26%. So they were very worried. You know, in light of all the headlines we read, that was a little bit surprising to me. How about you? It, it was a little bit surprising, but I think it is consistent uh, with the with the increase in in the current conditions index, and and also there's less pessimism regarding corn prices uh, you know, th- than there was two three months ago, and I think that's directly related uh, to there's more ethanol plants producing. Uh, you know, in July uh, compared to what there was in April, April and May, and so there certainly is some signs, uh, particularly particularly with uh, with ethanol and and corn, uh, that that would make us a little bit more optimistic than what we were in April and May. Yeah, that's a good point with respect to ethanol, and uh, maybe it hasn't provided a big boost to corn basis, for example, here in the Eastern Corn Belt, but it has helped it stabilize and, and resume a, what I'd characterize as a more typical seasonal pattern for basis, whereas earlier in the spring, the basis levels were collapsing in the face of weak ethanol demand. Uh, again, we've been asking a question about uh, how do you expect your farm's financial performance to be uh, in the upcoming year? And we ask it, do you expect it to be better than, worse than, or about the same as last year? Um, you know, back in April, 55% of the respondents said that they expected it to be worse. That's been drifting lower ever since, uh, and this month down to 43%. So that's still a fairly negative perspective, but it's not as negative as we were back in uh, April and May. I guess to put some perspective on that, though, if you go back to December, before all the COVID uh, information started hitting, uh, only 30% expected to see worse financial performance this year than than uh, a year ago. So, 
again, I think it's reflective of what took place with the current condition index. Uh, things are a little bit better, but they're still not great by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's kind of my take-home message. How about you? Yeah, I have the, I have the same uh, take-home message on that. If you, you know, if you looked at it, uh, late late 2019, early early in 2020, obviously pe- people were fairly optimistic, uh, and and we only had 30% of the people that were thinking that. Uh, that financial performance was going to be worse a year from now, as you indicated. Uh, then that jumped to 50, 55% approximately in April and May, that now down to 43%. So in some, you know, in many ways, we're about halfway back to where we were. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if, if, if we uh, continue to gain ground uh, in terms of a decline in, in the percentage of things that's going to be worse in the upcoming couple months. Yeah, we'll continue to ask this question and, and kind of track what's going on there. So it is going to be interesting to see how that shakes out as we approach harvest and get into the and, harvest. And many times fall. if we have a good harvest, people are more optimistic. And so that, that'll be what we'll have to watch very closely. So kind of the wrap up for this part of the survey was uh, we've been asking people uh, going back to May now. Do you think it will be necessary for the president and Congress to pass another bill to provide more economic assistance to farmers? And I guess to me, the interesting thing about this is it, the response really hasn't changed over time. Um, I think back in May, almost exactly two thirds, 67% said, yes, we need more assistance uh, for farmers. In June, it was 64% that felt that way. Here in July, it was 66%. So even though people are feeling a little better about what's going on in their farms and what's going on in the ag economy, uh, than they were back in uh, earlier in the spring, the percentage of people that feel like there's going to be a need for additional economic assistance to agriculture has stayed essentially the same. It really hasn't changed over that time frame. Um, one of the questions we've been asking in the last couple of months is, as a result of concerns about COVID-19, have you increased the amount of business you conduct online? And you know, this doesn't happen very often, Michael, but we got the exact same response to this question two months in a row. Extremely rare. Um, 41% of the respondents said that they have increased the amount of business they conduct online as a result of COVID-19. That's exactly what they told us in June. So very consistent. Um, And then we followed up with that and said, uh, as a result of concerns about COVID-19, are you less likely to attend in-person field days, workshops, or other educational programs during the remainder of 2020? And again, we've asked this question two months in a row. We got the exact same response two months in a row. 53% said that they would be less likely to attend in-person educational events. And that's really kind of interesting. There's a lot of ways to interpret that. I mean, one we, the first time we asked this, we had no idea what we were going to get. I guess this time I, I was kind of thinking in terms of what we heard uh, from respondents last month. But one way of looking at that is uh, that's a lot to say we're less likely to go to those in-person events. Um, the other perspective is that almost half the people say, no, we're really going to do about what we've always done in terms of attending events, assuming they're available. So that was kind of interesting. I think there's really, um, for those of us in the uh, information delivery business at universities, uh, I think for agribusiness firms uh, that normally have a lot of field days or uh, workshops, educational type programs, that really suggests um, probably need to find a way to do both, right? There's there's going to be a, a demand for and a need for some in-person events. It's going to be more challenging to provide and deliver those. 
but it also suggests that uh, there's going to be a need to find other ways to deliver information, um, maybe some non-traditional ways. So uh, interesting result, I think, in two ways. One was the fact that we got the same response two months in a row. And then the other one is I think about, you know, what that really means and, and the divergence in attitudes or perspectives out there. Um, but it's very consistent with what the universities are facing, like like Purdue University. I mean, there's a lot of people want the in-person in in person class experience and, and are going to come back and get that. But there's also a group, it's it's not half by any stretch of the imagination, but there's also a group that are very worried and would primarily, primarily like, uh, you know, their, their classes to be online. And so this is across the board in the economy. We've got people with different attitudes uh, with respect to the COVID-19. Yeah, it's, and it's, it makes for a very challenging situation. You and I, of course, uh, teach classes here on campus, and, and uh, that's going to be one of the challenges we face here in the next few weeks. So so we followed up with that, and we said, uh, in, lo- in lieu of some of these in-person educational events, uh, what's their top choice for educational information delivery? And, you know, we gave a pretty broad list of possibilities. We had uh, online seminars, webinars, and YouTube videos, uh, reading farm magazines, listening to podcasts, you know, just responding or reading uh, direct email uh, that come out from a variety of sources, listening to farm radio broadcast, and then just visiting websites. And I guess as I, as I look at the results and the response to that question, Michael, I was struck by the diversity of responses there because we asked what their top choice was and the responses were quite diverse. There was one category that was the largest and that was reading farm magazines, which came in at 36%. But when I look at the remainder of those responses, it was quite diverse. Um, Radio broadcast websites were about the same at 17%. Online seminars, webinars, YouTubes, 19%. Um, the listening to podcast came in relatively low. And of course I paid attention to that because we've just launched this pod, podcast. It, it, it came in at 3%, but I think it is important to remember that people uh, were saying, is this going to be my number one source of information? And, and I think very few people really thought podcast would be number one. Um, what was your take? One of the things is really, there's a couple of things really interesting to me. One is that uh, reading farm magazines come in, come in at the top choice. It, it's not real surprising that's still a valuable way to, to obtain information. I just didn't think uh, 36% would, would pick that as their top choice. Uh, but the, the other thing that's very clear here is people like agribusinesses like us uh, in, the, in the extension outreach business, the importance of, of delivering your information in multiple ways uh, because, because people really are, like you said, are very diverse in, in terms of how they get their information. Yeah, that was what struck me. And, and uh, you know, I was kind of thinking about you and I both been in this business a number of years. And the beginning of our careers, uh, the response to this would have been much different. You know, at the beginning of our careers, it probably would have been uh, really just two categories, reading farm magazines and perhaps a farm radio broadcast, right? And Before uh, the internet, Jim. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's changed a lot. And that does behoove us to uh, think about delivering information in a multitude of formats and a multitude of ways. And again, as you pointed out earlier, we face that same uh, same situation with working with students uh, uh, on campus that we teach classes to. So, uh, another thing that was a little surprising to me, Jim, was the was the view online seminars, webinars, and YouTube videos that came in at right at uh, close to twenty percent, right at nine nineteen percent, uh, and that was the second 
the second uh, second choice after reading farm magazines, and that was a little surprising to me. I know there's people, uh, you know, religiously uh, look at, at, at uh, online seminars and webinars, but I didn't think it'd be quite that high uh, compared to farm radio and websites. That's a good point, and, uh, you know, we didn't try and break out the delineation between um, webinars, for example, uh, versus YouTube videos. Um, I suspect YouTube videos helped boost that percentage quite a bit. Probably. Uh, um, if we had asked it oh, maybe a little bit different, perhaps we'll do that in the future, but um, I'm not sure what the percentage would be for seminars, webinars that are delivered over the web. But uh, uh, in our case, we're kind of in both camps because we do those live and then we record them and put them on YouTube. So it is kind of hard to differentiate between those two, but yeah, I was really struck by the diversity here. And so, uh, you know, we're doing, uh, I guess we've kind of got our feet in all those categories. So uh, I guess we'll probably keep doing it, right? So Yeah, I see no reason not to. Yeah. So that wraps up our review of this month's Ag Economy Barometer Survey results. So uh, if you have a chance, please visit our website at purdue.edu slash commercial ag to read this month's complete barometer report. The next set of survey results will be released on Tuesday, September 1st. And uh, so thanks for listening. And I encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. On behalf of the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Minter. 